0: Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, and by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners, with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence.
1: Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude, along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the
0: Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers.
1: That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time.
0: And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work.
1: And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of Charlotte podcasts produced in and centering around the Queen City, and also a proud member of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, broadcasting radio shows and podcasts about authors to a worldwide audience. I'm Landis Wade, the producer and host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. I'm the author of a trilogy of books where lawyers save Christmas, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street, and I write stories, and I love books, and I love dogs, and I love beaches and mountains and fly fishing and sports and reading and more, and also love getting under the covers with my authors, so let's get to it. Hey, listeners, welcome to this Under the Covers uh, edition of Charlotte Reader's Podcast. I'm visiting today with the author Paloma Capanna. Uh, she's the author of Nearly 50, a collection of essays. It's part memoir, part women's lit, and part self-help. Paloma says that her book is about how to get through the unscheduled, messy bits in life. It's what to read when life doesn't let up, when it feels like you have no options, and when you'd really rather sit down and cry. Larry Jaffe, poet, author of Lying Half Naked in the Doorway, says that if you are looking for insight into a life well-lived, then you have come to the right place. Paloma, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Landis. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, and congratulations on the book. Thank you. Yeah, was that? Uh, this, I think it's kind of been a lifelong thing for you. You wanted to get a book into the world. How does it finally feel to have that thing out there and circulating?
2: Disbelief. I think it's the, the summary of the emotional roller coaster one goes on when the first book actually gets into your hands and you look at it and you say, did I really write this? Did I really do this?
1: Yeah. yeah. We'll talk about the writing life in just a little bit. But first, you're, uh, you know, like me, you're one of these, uh, I don't know if you're fully recovered yet, but you've been a lawyer for many years. <laughs> and, I have uh, been. Yeah. Um, you say that uh, you're now sharing your insights uh, on how to be unafraid and moving through life. What do you mean by that? How to be unafraid and moving through life?
2: Sure. And unfortunately, I have to lead in with a comment on having been an attorney. Sure. Absolutely. You know, like you, I'm someone who is fortunate to have a voice and a voice that I have learned how to use through education, through training, through a lot of hard knocks in a courtroom, you know, with judges banging a gavel saying, speak up, speak up. Right. And What I think you find when you get a big voice is suddenly the world is less scary. You know, a roadblock comes up, you develop a strategy and you do it. And you look over your shoulder and there's six people waiting on the other side of the street. You know, and you're trying to call to them, come on, come on, come over, come over. It's not difficult to cross the street weigh your risks, develop that plan, execute on the plan, because it feels great. On the other side of the street where you find the independent coffee shop and the barista who knows how to just make those beautiful foam designs on top. So come on over.
1: Yeah, well, get, given the two weeks uh, that you cover in your book, I don't know, that's kind of, a, we're going to get into that kind of a tough <laughs> a tough time to be unafraid in moving through life. But We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, uh, I was introduced to you by uh, Randall Jones. He's a uh, Daniel Boone footsteps. He puts out the uh, personal story publishing project, and by the time this episode comes out, he'll probably be having submissions for his uh, his next anthology. But you and I were both in the uh, the recent one, the the that Southern thing, which is uh, living, loving, laughing, and loathing, or whatever the South. <laughs> now for now, for me, I wrote about um, the 1930s and 40s when my grandmother owned a hotel at Riceville Beach. Uh, you also wrote about the coast, but it was more about how you came to be on the coast from New York. How did you get here and end up doing what you're doing when, in an antique shop and pronounce it Beaufort, Beaufort? I get it mixed up. Beaufort. Beaufort. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So you went from New York to Beaufort. So tell us about that.
2: Uh, true Confessions, I am from Off as they call it around here. And I worked very hard to pronounce the title of our new anthology that we're in, that Southern flying, right? (laughs) Um, Because up North, it would be a thing, right? You drive through to the G instead. You know, New York really has hit a place that you've been watching on the national news really every day for the last 10 weeks. You've gotten to meet Governor Cuomo and learn something of the state of New York politics. I've been an activist, I've been an attorney for a number of years, and really the writing was on the wall that uh, it was simply time to reposition. And to northerners, the state of North Carolina looks to be what I'm so pleased to learn it is, which is a freer state, a state where people are a little more relaxed, where they know how to walk in the mountains and allow a bear to pass by. I am learning how to coexist with snakes, Uh, well here on the coast and we were ready for a lifestyle change that would allow us to write and lecture and travel
1: and take a breath uh,
2: away from the pace that we had been living and we're so pleased to be here.
1: Yeah and I love how uh, in your um, downtown antiques uh, there where you're now living you, you sort of are about bringing North Carolina back to North Carolina with with the antique, you travel around and you try to find these artifacts, these antique, and you bring them back home, right?
2: Yes, we have a 12-foot covered travel trailer and a full-size Chevy truck, and Kevin and I are like Antiques Roadshow meets Pickers, and we've been traveling everywhere in the deep South that I ever wanted to get into, seeing where the Freedom Riders sat in Greensboro, walking across the bridge in Selma. And everywhere we go, we do. We look for anything made in North Carolina to bring that craftsmanship back to Downton Antiques.
1: Well, that's great. Uh, we're going to have a lot of information about you in the show notes. You've been active in your literary community. You've re- received some writing awards. You've taught various workshops. Uh, and you know, a little shout out here: we're actually going to do something uh, on our Patreon platform, uh giving voice to the voiceless. Thank you for that. Uh, be on the lookout for that, uh, listeners. Uh, It'll be a good episode. Uh, you, you've been a lawyer. We're not going to get back into that. We're going to keep this thing upbeat, right, for the for the podcast. But uh, let's talk about the cover of the book before we get under the cover. So I want to know who this dog is and, uh, you know, tell us again what kind it is.
2: Red is a red bone coon hound. And he was adopted from an SPCA organization in Cortland County, which is rural upstate New York. Big fella he basically, you look at him and you say, oh my goodness, he is the real life Clifford, the big red dog.
1: Yeah, he is a big dog. I mean, his head's taking up most of the cover <laughs> of this book. <laughs> it's like, you know, how do we get, uh, how do we get red? We can't get all the red on the book cover. We can only get uh, part of him. And he, he does have uh big floppy ears and uh, just a strong red tint to his, to his coat there. Beautiful dog. Yeah. So, Um, given, given what you wrote about, uh, which we're going to find out a little bit about in just a moment, it's not, uh, not a surprise to see, you know, red on the cover here. Um, Hey, so you ready to get under the covers? Oh, I don't know.
2: Sorry. I couldn't (laughs) resist that. You're a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. There had to just be that little bit of humor.
1: Yeah. You're you're the first, you're the first one. I I must've had 30 some episodes under the covers and everybody's just so ready to get under the covers with me. No, you're a lawyer. And you say, I don't know if we can do that, Landis. You know, what are you trying to do here? Yeah. Okay. Are you ready to get under the covers?
2: Yes, I am.
1: (laughs) Hey, listeners, we'll be getting under the covers in just a moment. Uh, But first, I want to take a moment to thank our episode sponsor, Carrie Knowles. She is the 2014 North Carolina Piedmont Laureate for Short Fiction. Her latest novel published by Al Canyon Press is The Inevitable Past, I had the honor of being an advanced reader for that book and uh, offered this review. Carrie Knowles' writing has a dreamlike quality as it carries us on a journey from cradle to grave and back again. The Inevitable Past reminds us that the outcasts and most marginalized among us deserve to be remembered. Find out more about Carrie and how to get her book, The Inevitable Past, at cjanework.com. That's C-J-A-N-E-W-R-K dot com. Also, if you'd like to support your uh, favorite local independent bookstore and get audiobooks at the same time, uh, you can join libro.fm. That's L I B R O.fm. And if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, that's all one word, it may not be from Charlotte, but you can still be a Charlotte Reader to get this benefit. When you use that promo code, You're going to get uh, two books for the price of one when you join at uh, Libro's $14.99 monthly membership level. This is a great way to support uh, your local independent bookstore and get uh, great audiobooks uh, at the same time. So check it out. All right, so we're talking about the uh, book Nearly 50, a collection of essays with uh, Paloma Capana. And uh, Paloma, let's just talk a little bit about uh, what happened two weeks before you know, you started writing this book. Uh, nearly fifty was written as it happened in a two-week period before your fiftieth birthday, and and just talk about some of the things that happened that uh, caused you to put a pen to paper or, or fingers to keyboard.
2: So, September 9th of twenty sixteen was when this run of events began, and it started with a friend committing suicide. For any of us who have ever been through that, it's a shock. You're looking for everything you could have done differently. Uh, It doesn't matter how close you were to the person, maybe just a peripheral relationship. Maybe it's a child or a best friend. But it wasn't just one suicide. (laughs) It was two, uh, two people who were unrelated to each other, but who had come to be close and important to me in the the course of my journey, one older, one younger. And so it started that space that we writers sometimes just go into where uh, Kevin, my better half, calls it the rabbit hole. And we start to go down into questions. Why it happened? Why does the world work this way? Is anyone else around me thinking sad thoughts and should I catch them? Uh, We own a beautiful property in upstate New York. It's a hundred acre unspoiled mountaintop. So we literally own the entire 360 degrees of the top of it. And it allows for one to walk and wander and think and write um, and be very much, if you will, in the inspired space of Beatrix Potter, who loves the Lake District so much in England. And Red happened to have been adopted by us just shortly before that. And so you can imagine that this huge loping dog was perfectly happy to share the mountaintop. Uh, We did also still own our house in the Mm -hmm. suburbs and went back and forth. And that began then Red's journey with us and the events that happened from there.
1: Yeah. So you have these, uh, two friends who commit suicide. You also, uh, encounter a wolf by yourself in the wild and nobody believes you. And, and then, uh, Red, who becomes your, you know, companion, your, Kevin's companion, uh, you're trying to, you know, bring this dog into your family. He's a rescue. Uh, he bites you in the face, uh, traumatic situation. Um, and I think you say, you know, you, you're, you were trying to take this journey inward to keep going into this sort of world to try to make sense of it. I, you know, I'm just trying to understand you know, all this happens in a compact period of time mm-hmm. in a sense that, okay, you've been bitten in the face by this dog, huge dog. I mean, this could have really been a major, major issue. You were fortunate, right. in the way it came yes. out.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, uh,
1: but then weeks, you know, you got to keep the dog, you're watching the dog and, uh, you know, eventually y'all are going to have to part ways. I don't want to give too much away about the book, but uh, that didn't have a happy ending necessarily for y'all. And uh, not only that, but uh, Kevin has a heart attack in that year. Your mother dies of cancer. Um, you just got a lot going on before you write this book and before you turn 50, right? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. And it just seems that's the way it happens in my life. So for me the rhythm is not so much what day of the week is it it's what crisis am I managing. And you know in part it's been good to have a 25 plus year run as a litigation attorney because I have a big toolbox for managing crisis and working with clients going through crisis. I've represented a number of domestic violence victims uh, including several who had been stalked globally, changed identities and so forth. And so my life has been a series of going into and out of periods of crisis, but generally for others yeah. You and a little bit easier than when it's the storm that, you know, you're right in the center of that storm. And then you've got to try to open up your own toolbox and, you know, fix yourself, apply the gauze and do the stitching and keep going because frankly, the world keeps spinning.
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm a little curious here. So you have all this going on. Did you start writing because you felt like you had to get some of this on paper to make sense of what was going on um, around you? And is that how this project got started?
2: Yes, I am a real-time writer, and I have been for decades. Um, I am diagnosed with PTSD. And so one of the techniques for managing the hyperarousal or the hypoarousal is to write. And I write by hand. I write with a pen on paper for my drafting. And I'm very pleased that at least of recent years, medical science is starting to realize that's not a myth, that brain-hand connection actually does help people to focus and quiet down the noise and quiet down the nerves and allow you to process some of what's going on around you.
1: Yeah, well if only they could also have an app that would help me read my own handwriting, then I could probably do, <laughs> do some do some of this. But um so you said I said this at the outset that you said nearly fifties about how to get through the unscheduled, messy bits of life. You say it's it's what to read when life doesn't let up, when it feels like you have no options, and when you'd rather sit down and cry. Emotions that probably were spilling out of you as you're writing this. But what did you mean? So so when you you say you read this, it's sort of you know, allows you to get through the unscheduled messy bits in life. Cause there's a lot of messy stuff in here. That's kind of hard to, uh, hard to process.
2: And we're right now in a minute of global pandemic. Right. That does allow me to feel like nearly 50 came out at a good time. So a big part of what I think I bring to the table is I had an American mother and a British father. That compare contrast between handling of emotions has been a really good study for me my whole life between my parents and the cultures that I went back and forth between. I am not afraid to raise my hand and say, this sucks. (laughs) when there's a minute that is just not on the calendar, right? And everything has gone sideways. You know, yesterday you wake up and we've got more than six inches of rain in 24 hours. We're on septic and well. And guess what? Uh, The house that we just bought last summer, well, the toilet doesn't flush and somebody stopped the shower that you're running because, you know, that was not on the calendar either. But this notion of, how can you focus? How can you cope? How can you move forward? And part of what is surprising me about the current situation that we're in is how few people are talking about the emotions, right? It's channeling in terms of protests and people saying, I want to get back to work, and I want to get back to normal, and I want to know what is the new normal. But I see actually very few people, whether it's in the media or even among my writer friends, it's encoded language. It's writers saying, "I haven't written a poem in ten weeks." It's not us saying, "I'm feeling nervous. What if I get COVID nineteen? Do I have a healthcare proxy that's written? Do I want to be intubated? How quickly could that progress if I am? And what are the statistical odds for M M&M and rates at my local hospital?" Right. Um, so right now we're in a complete environment that is the opposite of dealing with one's emotions and Me, personally, as both a trained professional and with the experiences I've had in my own life, the second wave for me is not going to be, do we have the flu again in the fall? Do we have a virus again in the fall? For me, the question is, what kind of secondary trauma rates are we going to start to see manifesting in the general population with people knowing or not knowing what the signs and symptoms are of secondary trauma? You do not have to be the driver of the ambulance during COVID-19 in Queens, New York city to suffer trauma. You can be experiencing it and still have a deep emotional impact.
1: Yeah. And we're recording, we're recording this at the end of May. Uh, this will come out probably at the uh, end of August. So we probably ought to check in with each other and just see what's going on two, two or three months from now, because who knows what the world's going to be like, you know, at that time. But I, I think you're, you're right on the money here. And just a little, I guess, public service announcement. Uh, you know, we lawyers get your healthcare power of attorneys in place. You know, whether you're in a COVID-19 situation or whatever, because it's it's good to have someone designated to you know act on your behalf. So, with that public service announcement, we'll move to the <laughs> to the next topic here. Uh, so, Paloma, what was it that you were searching for um, in writing this book?
2: That's a really good question. I think anything that I write, even if it's a single poem, is looking for that aha moment. It's looking for some little gem. Doesn't have to be a cut stone, doesn't have to be polished, doesn't even have to be a diamond, right? But something that lets me just hold it in my hand and get up, right? Brush the dirt off, meet, the responsibility and say, gee, God, you know, if you were going to make me a linebacker, could you have given me the right shoulder pads <laughs> and you know, sort of move forward, right? And that's really where the writing goes. So nearly 50 is about 10,000 words. It's, it's one of the skinniest, I like to think of it as one of the skinniest heavyweight volumes you're ever going to read. The book I've just drafted the manuscript for is more than 400 pages. So if that tells you what the last 10 weeks have been like for me, the book that I've just drafted, it's a complete manuscript, um, has been a really deep dive. Yeah,
1: well, you're going to have to do a lot of editing to get it down to the size of nearly 50.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) I think this one will be the first full length proper book.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it would be a tight read. And I also noticed that you like to use, uh, you know, first lines to kind of draw you in atop the mountain, which was the first essay. Uh, it says there was a time I would not have lit a fire if there wasn't a man at home to tend to it. So, I mean, right away you're, you know, you just got something, I mean, right. There's a lot packed in just to that one, one statement. And then, uh, the, the line about the wolf, people don't believe that I saw a wolf. Well, that's a great way to come into an essay where people aren't trusting you and believing you. And then the dog bite, our dog bites me in the face. I mean, you couldn't be more clear and succinct than that. Right. Um, so you got a little read here. Um, let's set this read up. It's, uh, from the essay trust. Um, your, uh, how did you describe this little section of the, I think you gave me a little description of a wild woman or something or.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. I mean, I, I, think that there is a energy that I just, I love the look on your face, Landis. Uh, I'll cue the readers in that you and I can actually see each other while right.
1: we are. Exactly. Recording
2: this, but it, it's the look that men have on their face when they even say the words "wild woman," because <laughs> they know it's something akin to Stonehenge and you know fairies with wings and. Yeah. Um, but it, it does elude y'all, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, let's don't leave them in suspense any longer. So whenever you, whenever you're ready, just just pick it up.
2: Sure. I don't know really how to feel about it all, this life the Lord calls on me to live. I know I have to trust, but what is that? In just a week, I will turn 50. Maybe this is all just related to only that, a midlife crisis, a misalignment of my stars, an early onset of something medical, the justification for a cruise around the world. I won't be graceful about this juncture. I will live and I will become one of those fabled women of inner power. Those Annie Leibovitz portraited women, lips resting gently together, body cloaked in the crowned jewels, fur collars, velvet robes, the orb and the scepter in hand. The naked gray hair, parted down the middle, kinky and untamed and lying upon a skin so soft that even the shoulders bear wrinkles. It's all in the eyes with those women. The Queen of England upon her coronation day. Glenn Close and Meryl Streep and Susan Sarandon. They have always been women out front through the whole of my lifetime. Never girls, never minimized, not Goldie Hawn or Diane Keaton and their actual person or the roles that they played on world stages. Free women, women who defied, women whose exuberance for life to be lived large could allow them to overcome, to transcend, to be the very shelter that
1: they offer. So Capanna, that's great. You've got a only a kind of a two-week arc here. In most books, you, the arc is a little longer than that. I'm, I'm sure it is in the 400 pages you've now written for your other book. But uh, you've made this arc from lots of trouble in your life, lots you know, getting bit in the face by a huge dog, and now you're here at the end of this book. That that that's an amazing move in just a couple of weeks' time. And I, I, maybe the writing helped with that.
2: I think the whole life journey helps with it. If I can, you know, borrow Malcolm Gladwell wrote one of the best selling books of all time, and the title is Blink. And the entire book then talks about everything that comes before the split second in which you meet someone and your blink or your first impression, you know, is made. And for me, for the journey of my life, whether it's me or the clients I've worked with, the friends I've had, the family I've lived with, there can be these breakthrough seconds that occur that really is the accumulation of every minute prior to that.
1: All right. So we got a little time just quickly for some writing life stuff. Uh, you know, you, this book, I said, is a quick read. It's 37 pages around nine essays. And you said you've just completed another manuscript. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the difference between writing uh 90,000 words and writing, uh, something that, uh, as you said, is thin but heavy?
2: <laughs> you know, there's actually not much difference. That, I think, is what yeah. has surprised me. Uh, yeah. So the manuscript stands at about 105,000 words. Uh, there were days recently that I was doing about 4,500 to 5,000 words a day. And it's in real time, in sync with the onset of COVID-19 here on the East Coast of the United States. And I think that the key if you're going to write is simply to write and to train or accumulate people around you who understand that when you pick up a pen, they need to just shush up, right? Um, You're not doing dinner, it's it's just not gonna happen. If there was dry cleaning, um, find the ticket and go get it Uh, because right now I'm almost in a hypnotic or a channeling state or the universe is simply tuned its radio dial to me And I can hear this story that must be told. And I'm going to get to that piece of paper and I'm going to have my pen and it's simply going to come off the end of that pen if I have to drip blood to get it there.
1: Yeah, I almost think we need to have a Patreon episode sometime about how writers can save their Relationships, uh, every time someone else walks in in the middle of them writing and you give them that look, (laughs) which, and you know what I'm talking about because you're. I do. I
2: do. Right. Every grammar school teacher I ever had when my hands were wandering off my desk, where I started to whisper to the person next to me, it's that look.
1: Yeah. It's that look. Um, Now, you're a very optimistic person because uh, uh, in the last few lines of your book, you say 50 years down, Another fifty to go. So you're you're kind of, yeah. You're you're thinking maybe this, because because sometimes people say when they get well, when I get to fifty or i get to sixty, yeah, that's it. Gosh, I'm so old, you know I can't. But you've got this attitude. I think that okay, this is just another chapter phase, and maybe it'll go on for a while.
2: Well, there there is still a lot left to do. I have a lot of interests, places, and people. I have how many readings? still to go to, to meet other poets on the journey. Uh, I have essays that are pending submission applications. So today is not a good day to check out because Kevin does not know how to sign into Submittable and check whether they ever got accepted. Um, And the women in my family simply have a bad habit of lasting a long time. So I'm banking on 103. That's, that's the birthday I aim for. And if I get that far, then whoever is the sitting queen at that time in England will also owe me a birthday card on the way.
1: Uh, we just found the first line of your next essay, The Women in My Family Have a Bad Habit of Living a Long Time. <laughs> uh, okay, final thoughts here. Uh, what, what has um, writing Nearly 50 meant to you as part of both your writing journey and your life journey?
2: In the writing journey, it's the breakthrough. Because when you actually have a hardcover book in your hand, you know you are leaving something behind. It's so different than having a page of poetry in a lit mag or even an essay in something as wonderful as Flying South. This just feels permanent. It feels like I waited until I actually had some little piece of wisdom, that little teeny rock that I was talking about earlier to leave behind that someone else might find that might help them to also be brave. So I feel like I have accomplished something not just as a writer, but also as a woman and just as a human being. And it's it's amazing how many people have come into the shop or have come to a book signing and they tell me their story as to why they're picking up this book and taking it home. And they look stronger just having it in their hands. So it, it feels like a little victory.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, it is nice having the book there. And uh, also, you know, for others that are reading it, to see what you went through and how you got from one side to the other kind of helps them perhaps with their own life experiences and, and what they're dealing with uh, all right, so listeners, there's going to be information in the show notes uh, about uh, this book, about Paloma, um, about uh, how you can find the book and her website and links and all that kind of thing. Uh, Paloma, we're out of time. Thanks so much for being on Charlotte Readers Podcast.
2: Well, thank you, Landis. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in.
1: Well, that's it for today another fine author giving voice to their written words.
0: Next Tuesday, we'll have another in-depth episode with readings and conversations about the written word and the writing life of a local or regional author.
1: But before then, be on the lookout for another Under the Covers episode where we do much the same thing we do here, but quicker and sometimes away from the studio
0: because there are just too many good authors and
1: not enough time
0: if you like what we're doing please consider leaving a short written review on apple podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice because when you do our authors voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land
1: and if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks Please consider becoming a member supporter.
0: You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com.
1: And you can keep up with news about the show by joining our email list and engaging with us on social media. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join our email list, we'll give you a free ebook written by me. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.
0: Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at OrthoCarolina.com. OrthoCarolina, you improved.